Hello and welcome to The Second Row. My name is Park Kelly and as always you can find me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at The Second Row. That's 2ND, not the word second. If you want to get in touch by email you can. Get me on info at thesecondrow.com and don't forget this podcast is literally everywhere from Acast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, you name it, it's there. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button as you're listening. With me on the podcast this week is one of Connor's most prolific try scorers, Finn Carr. Hi Finn, how are you? How's life treating you at the moment? Not too bad. Hong Kong weather is really good. About 30, 31, 32 degrees. The only unfortunate thing is now we're starting to experience our third wave of the virus. So we're, we're back on lockdown, which is a bit of a shame. Was lockdown strict in Hong Kong? or Not like home. So um, a lot of people work from home. Uh, you guys seem to have it much worse. Apart from... The second wave of lockdown, life has returned to normal in Hong Kong or as, as normal as normal can be? Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty normal. Um, the only people allowed into Hong Kong are Hong Kong residents at the moment. Um, so everyone has to quarantine otherwise for for two weeks. They've got pretty strict on that because of this, this new wave. So uh, anyone coming in, I think, has to go to a government facility until they test uh Test negative for the virus, and then they're they're allowed home to quarantine for fourteen days. Did you use the time that you had to kind of upskill or learn anything new? Because a lot of players had that kind of that bit of spare time they would normally have to kind of train or do something new themselves. The whole time I've been here, I've just been kind of just uh, working away. So we've kind of been in and out of the office the, the way things have been. So um, and work's been been pretty busy, uh, believe it or not. So. Uh, it's it's been quite good so we didn't i haven't had much time to do much extra uh, a bit of uh hiking at the weekends is is about the height of it that's not bad at least you're able to get out and about and and see the world and see a bit of something yeah you're able to get out and about and do, kind of do a bit over here and, and the fact that the the weather's good as well uh <laughs> makes it a lot easier to get out at the weekends head down to the beach and do that type of stuff that's great I'll, we'll go back to your early days what was your early days of rugby like starting off in nice um yeah nice was really good it started there when i was about uh like about five or six um just by chance really um my mom used to go down to uh, a friend's house that was close to nice rugby club and uh, to get rid of me for an hour she used to send me down to the rugby club with uh, her friend's sons. So that's that's how it kind of started. And it just grew from there. Uh, nice was really good throughout the years. It's a fantastic club. I uh, can't speak highly of it enough. Um, just from all the underage structures and uh, the coaches and the dedication and all the volunteers, it uh, really definitely helped me progress uh, until I got to secondary school. Uh, and again, funnily enough, but played with a few guys and minis there that when I went back uh, not too long ago were still playing for the first which was uh, good to see great to see that they are out to hold on to people for that long there seems to be a drop off after school for a lot of people in rugby especially local clubs yeah there probably is I suppose the probably advantage maybe Nice might have in that regard is uh, it's like it's quite far away from a lot a lot of other clubs and I suppose guys who go tend to go to Nice Rugby Club probably go to the schools dotted around the club as well and so it probably gives guys a natural incentive to kind of stay playing together for the whole camaraderie and especially if you win a few things growing up and then kind of guys get a taste for it and want to kind of kick on and play together a bit longer and what was your road like to professional rugby 
So after Nice, uh, I went to uh, Newbridge College and uh, played there for um, the my secondary school years. Uh, really enjoyed it there. Um, I was lucky enough to have a, a really good group of guys kind of in school and we managed to get to senior cup semi-final um, <clears throat> and then from there kind of just got lucky I suppose and got selected for a couple of trials for Leinster schools um, and then was lucky enough to go out in those trials and kind of get on to the Leinster schools which in turn went on to Irish schools and Irish 19s uh, which, which was really good I was obviously super excited back then when you get those calls it's uh it's like the be all and end all, um, yeah. and then obviously you see the next goal in sight, which might be the twenties academies, and then so on. So uh, yeah, it was, but that's the type of the route I took into into Leinster Academy, which was great, and I was lucky enough to to get selected um, and get into those positions. Your time to Leinster Academy, what was that like? What was the, the set, setup like then? Because you would have seen it, the difference between when you were there and a couple of years later. I suppose the setup was, re- was really good. Initially, when I got there in uh, my first year, we probably started in the old shed in Old Belvedere, um, where a lot of Leinster guys would have come through. And then I was only there for a year, and then Leinster got a fantastic facility in uh, David Lloyd's and Donnybrook which then followed on after that they got the new gym in UCD <clears throat> so I did my time when I was in the academy in David Lloyd's uh, fantastic gym fantastic facilities and to be honest the, the coaching didn't really change from whether we were in a shed in Old Belvedere to uh, David Lloyd's the coaches were still, were still pretty pretty good uh, and then it just went from there How did the move to Connacht come about? Did Connacht approach you or was there just an opportunity you couldn't refuse? I, I'd kind of, I'd done, uh, it was in my third year in the academy and I, I kind of benched a couple of times for Leinster and got a start. And uh, naturally enough at the time, uh, Michael Checo was coach and I was hoping that there be maybe a development contract or something on the, along the lines in, in Leinster. And you, you kind of, that, that's, what, that's what you're hoping for. I hadn't really thought of, of uh, anything else at the time but then I got a text actually from um, uh, Conor McPhillips asking how I was getting on or whatnot, and then one thing led to another and uh, Conor uh, got on to me and um, they just asked was I interested and of course I was uh, it's not like when you get another province showing interest in you at like such a young age it's certainly something that like you consider immediately. Luckily enough, I spoke to Connacht um, and uh, spoke to um, Michael Bradley at the time, Eric, and uh, was super excited then and kind of ended up signing uh, with Connacht that year. Yeah, I think it was 2008. Then you just couldn't stop scoring tries while you were here. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it, it, it was a good it was a good initial spell. Um, Got in there and the lads were super welcoming straight away. I was when you, when you're young, kind of was like 21 coming down to Connacht. I was obviously you're not a, you're a very junior player. You're coming into a squad, but the way the senior players in Connacht at the time kind of uh, accepted me and kind of just brought you in and kind of showed you the ropes and, and treated you as an equal. It was, it was really fantastic at the time, so it really helped me settle in. Did you feel there was a big difference between? 
what you had been used to in Leinster and then coming to Connacht to set up the gym, the facilities. How did you ma- manage to that leap? Because I say that the system was very different that you're used to. Um, the, the system was a little different. Again, when, when I first got to Connacht, there was probably, there was no clan stand. There was essentially a terrace there um, and there was no um, gym at the back uh, the the new facility they have now it was kind of the gym was set up in, in the the administration building which will be sorry the administration building now um it was quite small so we we gym was done in kind of groups of i think about uh, eight people um again it was it was something similar to what i'd come from when i first started in the academy of leinster in old belvedere and then obviously the transition though between david lloyds and connacht yeah connacht were probably a few years behind but then uh, they, they caught up fairly quickly with that new facility which is state of the art yeah it was great to see everything kind of progress as well as it did over those years you must have seen some changes yourself in Galway and Connacht between Bradley and Elwood what are your like core memories from your first stint in Galway probably uh, would be certainly kind of battling every week for, for points, we were considered uh, like serious underdogs back then, and I suppose we won some games. Maybe we shouldn't have won, uh, and then we lost. We took some heavy beatings as well. But I suppose that probably helps develop you you as a player. And like another another good memory would be also at uh, one time actually I went to um, on Gaeltacht for a <laughs> summer camp, and I ended up having to go out there on my own. Uh, so it was fantastic experience got out there and everyone just started speaking Irish to me which <laughs> my level of Irish would be uh, would be okay but not uh, I'd be able to understand to a certain extent uh, speaking wise it wouldn't be too good especially uh, since I'd been out of school quite a few years but it was it was a great experience and just to see kids uh, out in kind of rural Galway that were really really ambitious and, and like delighted to have me out there all the kids initially spoke Irish to me and then um, uh, once they realised that my Irish wasn't, wasn't uh, as good as theirs or even close, uh, they just uh, started speaking English again to me. <laughs> it's a great place. That's where I'm from. That's That would have been my local club. But when I was uh, growing up, there was no rugby there. It was only when I went to college that a club actually got created there. So it was, it's great to see when you were in Galway that you were able to have an impact on players that were coming up through the system. Yeah, no, no, I, I, it's the big part, I think, now in Connacht rugby. Uh, I, like my, I did the, those type of training camp stints with young kids uh, in my first time period there and my second period there. And it certainly developed from the first to the second time. The second time, it was a lot more widespread, um, which, was, which was fantastic. Uh, and it's great because I'm sure you can see now, I can't remember the stat at the end, but... By the time I left Connacht, there was a crazy amount of schools playing rugby that hadn't played before. Uh, the grassroots was just—it uh, was great to see, and it just again, it'll it'll make Connacht a serious power to come in, in the next number of years. Yeah, hopefully that work all comes to fruition. You were a part of the team that had that incredible win against Toulouse. What did that feel like being part of the team that had that big scalp? It, it, it was unbelievable. Um, the week before, actually, we played Edinburgh in, um, in a league match. Before, uh, and we we didn't we didn't go well. We had a, a long, long video reviews, 
and uh, probably heads are a bit down. But then I suppose we had a really good training week. Uh, and I think, uh, I know for myself, and I'm sure a lot of guys were the same, we probably went over there and no one expected us to win, no one expected us to do anything. And we probably had nothing to lose. And I think guys went out and we played like that. Uh, and then there was a belief there, I think, once we kind of got on top of it to lose and we were playing well, that, that we could definitely win this game. And, and I've no doubt the guys probably, like, before that match even wanted to win this game because Connacht actually, I know maybe it was Amelin previous, but had a good history to beating French teams away in France in those competitions. Like the Connacht record away in France is, or and against French teams in general is pretty good. It's the English teams that we seem to have the problem with to get in England anyway. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is. I have been on, on the end of a few defeats, a few English teams, but like you said, I've been on the end of uh, winning some fantastic matches like away to Montpellier uh, beating Bourguin in the quarterfinal of the Amelin I know we actually ended up losing to Toulon in the semi-final and then again the likes of Toulouse away so there, there's been some really really strong victories there uh, against the French teams but yeah it, uh, for some reason I don't know why we struggled in the in those competitions against the English teams I can't really put my finger on it Over your years in Conk you, you did get to play under three of the biggest mainstays and coaches in Bradley, Elworth and, and Lamb. What were the biggest difference between all three, would you say, as a player that you found? As a player, uh, I think all coaches were, were like absolutely fantastic. Uh, again, Michael Bradley, he's uh, for me, he was uh, fantastic. Like he gave me my first opportunity and he always always encouraged no matter what we did a lot of the time and he always kind of gave you a, uh, a bit of a license to play which was great again Eric was super uh, especially super for my skills kicking I had him in a back as a backs coach uh, with Brad's before I actually had him as a head coach and again he, he was really really good uh, he, he knew exactly the way he wanted to play and and uh, it, it was uh, it was we did quite well as well with uh, with Eric Ambrad's uh, head coach and then with Pat uh, again Pat probably brought a bit of Southern Hemisphere flair to um, to Connacht when he came he had a, a particular type of structure that we played and it, it worked really really well for us um, so the only difference uh, I would say is probably. Maybe when uh, Pat was there, we had quite a strong squad at the time. Like we, we quite good depth. We had some really good uh, hungry academy guys, and the squad was probably very very strong compared to when I was there with uh, Eric and Brad's. Um, well, like you had international centres like Bundy and Robbie playing um, when Pat was there, so it was really great to play alongside those guys. What's that like when you're playing in a team that just doesn't have that depth to compete on a constant basis? Like you can, Connacht were always able to get the big scalps, but how do you deal with that as a player? Connacht probably went through a few losing streaks um, when I was there with Eric and Brad's. And it does like, it's mentally exhausting for both coaches and players. Um, but I suppose it's it's guys eventually dig deep and do get that win and it's probably a rut uh, a team can get themselves into pretty easy and like 
when the squads that were there when uh, I was there in my initial years were like there were some absolutely fantastic players. Um, it's just I, I can't. I honestly couldn't put my finger on it exactly uh, what the problems were when you do go into a losing streak like that because uh, every player again is. Uh, has different motivations for different games, um, so it, uh, it, it's quite it's quite of a tough question. You're saying you play with some fantastic players. Is there anyone that, from your first stint in Connacht, if you could say, lads, I've got a game for you here in Hong Kong, you come and play? Who would be the first people on the call? See, there's a lot of guys I actually played with in the first stint that I played with, in the second stint as well. <laughs> so, see, Hong Kong rugby is probably. A, I'm trying to think. It's a dry track. It's fast. Um, like they're all 4G pitches out here so uh, I'd, I'd, I'd probably have to pick a few of the backs I'd say I'd say I'd probably go with maybe Connor Lachlan he's a scrum half uh, he uh, he was uh, quite dynamic uh, really uh, skillful and powerful Frank Murphy as well again another one who, who was a scrum half but a serious passer and then you've got the the likes of the, they actually like a big forward over here, so I'd have to give Mike McCarthy, Michael Swift, John Bulldean the nod there. <laughs> there's a good few guys, Ronan Lockley. Like there's a lot of guys there that actually that I did play with over the years that would have picked up a good few Irish caps um, while I was there in my my first stint as well. That's right. You would have played with Sean Cronin and like I said, Mike McCarthy. You and Sean went to Leinster at the same time. How did that move come about? How did those things happen in Ireland when a player moves from province to province? I know you can only comment um, on your, you can only really comment on how it works for you, really. But I say it's kind of the same. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, exactly how, how it initially worked for Sean, but I suppose uh, probably been going going okay at Connacht at the time, and I was approached by. Um, my, my agent to let me know that uh, Lance were interested um, and then yeah, I was also at the time talking to Connacht about renewing my contract and uh, I was obviously super excited at the time to have interest from Leinster because they just won a Heineken Cup again I was loving my time in Connacht uh, so what happened next was then I was Got to speak with uh, Joe Smith and guys to me in Leinster, and then also was speaking with Eric and the guys in Connacht at the same time. Um, and then, really, for me, probably what what it came down to in the end was maybe the sway of the bigger team. Uh, Leinster, like I said, I just won a Heineken Cup. I am from Kildare, and it is my home province, and I kind of started in the academy there. So that was probably the the big kicker for me. Of, Gutted to leave Connacht at the same time because it, it was I, I really loved it down there, but uh, at the time it felt like uh, Leinster was probably a good option. How was your time in Leinster those two years? Leinster did win some silverware. Did it go as well as you'd hoped it would go? I picked up quite a few caps in those two years, and mainly in the league, a couple of Heineken Cup caps. Leinster again won uh, another Heineken while I was there and Amlin and uh, uh, Rabo, um, which was great to be a part of those squads. It, <clears throat> I probably didn't hit the highs that I wanted to get to. Heineken Cup-wise, kind of suppose that's that's the real one where you kind of mark yourself on and where generally all the internationals are back and the strongest teams are put out. And in, in those kind of 
uh, scenarios I was probably ended up benching a lot probably didn't get as many minutes as I wanted or I could have been even 24th man which is uh, probably the most devastating position you can put a player because it's not like you're involved you're not involved you kind of do a warm up that type of thing uh, which which was pretty disappointing but again uh, like I, I loved my time at Leinster like it just makes sense as it's your home club of course you'd want to play there you know what was Joe Schmidt like at a coach because he's had such a huge impact on the Irish rugby psyche do you have any insight onto him as as a coach or as a man Joe um he's he's unbelievably detailed uh, as a coach and no, nothing slips by him I, I when I got to Leinster I was like I was overwhelmed by the amount of detail he threw at players it's probably something I I, I hadn't got on the analysis side of things but again analysis was probably coming into the game more and more at that stage but Joe seemed to be a a, a little bit ahead of the game on that one for just even speaking to him one-on-one the level of detail he talked to him was just incredible and he kind of gave you that drive each individual player on certain things he'd give you things maybe to work on in your game and he'd expect you to obviously go away and perfect those things and that's the thing about Leinster at the time. Every player was doing that from the top down. So you'd have guys on your day off and guys being doing kicking, high ball skills, uh, contact skills. Um, it was a real competitive environment that he created in Leinster at the time. I suppose everyone was fighting for their place. Uh, everyone wanted the jersey. Guys were, were doing their utmost in training. Uh, and training was created like in game scenarios. That kind of circles around to that depth thing you are talking about earlier on, how Connacht didn't have that depth to build on, whereas if you look at Leinster, they did have that, that kind of squad depth. And you, Is that kind of where the difference is, in especially in a training where people really go hammer and tongs fighting for a place? It's it's probably not that Connacht didn't have that depth. It was probably more that it was, it was the type of training probably did the structures where Joe did that 15 on 15 for uh, the majority of the session. Where So if you were a fringe player, you, you were getting quite a lot of opportunities to run plays, to get involved, to kind of to see what the first team were doing because um, uh, the structure across the board is all the same. Not that that's not what they were doing in Connacht. In Connacht, I suppose, at the time, maybe um, in the early days, it was probably a little bit different. We probably didn't do as much of that 15-on-15 type of structured training. Uh, it was maybe more running patterns, plays, uh, and a different variation on the on the training. I suppose when I moved to Leinster, it, it was probably... Uh, it was a different take that Joe brought on the the old school type of rugby training maybe after two years you did come back to Connacht how did that decision come about or was it a move you looked for yourself when I left Connacht uh, I made it clear that I was kind of going back to Leinster to again like I said it was my home province that and Connacht like took it really well Uh, they understood my situation so it wasn't um I don't think they were uh, like overly overly annoyed at my decision that they they could understand it. I think so. Uh, when the opportunity came back about it, I'd done two years in Leinster and I'd gone reasonably well. And then when Connor came back knocking again during the Heineken Cup, I thought it, it may be a good opportunity to look at, at and come back to Connor because again I'd made some really good friends there. I loved the place as well. Um, so I, I, yeah, that's probably kind of made 
helped me make my decision to go back west. There must have been something satisfying when you came back west to be a part of that Pro 12 winning squad. You'd been there through some of the darker days of Connacht and to be able to experience that high must have been great for you. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Um, like, uh, I couldn't probably uh, won it with a better bunch of guys. Like Again, the same ethos as uh, when I was in Leinster, Connacht did the exact same when they won the the Guinness that time um, guys were really competitive it was a really competitive squad that uh, Pat had built and everyone was chomping at the bit to get that certain jersey so I, it, it was a very similar type of scenario I found myself in and it was great because when I came back not that I wasn't expecting to win it but I wanted to get for me I wanted to get back into a starting position and kind of help Connacht along that way to winning it and when we did win it uh, it was absolutely fantastic when you were with us, you were the top try scorer. Since then, Matt Healy's taken that over. Was there a text message sent when he broke the record or did you acknowledge it at all? To be honest, I didn't even know. Um, <laughs> n- n- like I knew he'd broken it, but I didn't know uh, what date or uh, at all. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, nothing was said to me, um, which is fine. Um but uh, yeah, it's um, it's a, it's a nice record to have on its mats now. But it just shows how like how prolific you were in your time that it, it took some amount of time before Matt Healy could come up and take that record away from you. It, it was great, and everyone loves scoring tries, especially especially wingers. <laughs> so um, I probably would have considered it doing my job and trying to help Connacht as much as possible. Uh, and probably gotten the tail end of a few runovers as well, which always helps. Um, but yeah, it was it was nice to have that accolade for a few years, and it, it's uh, it's always nice again to to see someone else kind of kick on and uh, break it as well, because uh, records are there to be broken. If that record's not broken, that just means Connacht hasn't moved on at all. I suppose that's one way of looking at it as well. I suppose you can look at it that way. I'm sure there's some young guy coming up through the ranks that could end up going playing for Connacht for 10 years and absolutely knocking that record out of the park. True. And I'm also, I'm also sure that there's players there like Tiernan O'Halloran that would like to stake a claim and get his name on that record as well. <laughs> I can't imagine he's too far away. You ended up leaving at the end of that 2016 season. I always kind of find it fascinating those discussions when almost your players' professional rugby career, especially in Ireland, are, are coming to an end. Were you asked at that point to join the Irish Sevens or or was that did that happen when you were in Nice? So it, it, it happened before I um, before I went to Nice. Uh, the Irish Sevens had uh, started up and um, once I suppose they probably knew that I wasn't uh, going to sign anywhere that I was staying in Ireland that they uh, expressed their interest in, in having me to come play uh, which was, I was more than happy to do because I'm a massive fan of Sevens and obviously getting Irish Sevens off the ground as well I think we could be a, a serious powerhouse on the Sevens circuit which we did really really well this year already and um, so I was more than happy to, to jump on board But you were the one of the people that kind of kick-started the, the Sevens revolution and the team started well pretty um, with you in it It, it went well it's actually funnily enough that the guys had been probably before I got into it I think slogging away for about two years prior to uh, 
me coming on board. I don't think many people know that. There was a core group of guys there. He was an Ireland back to sevens. I think the star from European division, I think it was C, and then they went to B, and then they went to the top division. So by the time I'd started, they were already in the top division, the European Grand Prix, uh, and fighting for World Cup and World Series spot at that stage. So yeah, it was nice to get involved in that, and nice to get qualified for a World Cup and and for Hong Kong to get the guys onto the World Series. Did you enjoy being back in Nice and playing with Nice again? Um, I suppose when I, when I probably finished playing with Connacht, um, like before, like at the end of my fifteens, I, I was probably uh, I was probably done with rugby. I was kind of fed up. Um, things hadn't gone my way in the last stint in Connacht and I was kind of in a, in a bit of a lull I was like right I need to kind of figure figure what I want to do uh, now with uh, after rugby and um, I got a I got a phone call from Johnny Murphy who was uh, a friend of mine who were in school he was uh, the year ahead of me and he, he was coaching nice and he just said well, would you be interested and I a few other clubs that approached me at the time um, and I was living in Dublin but I suppose Nace was my home club I had a lot of friends from Nace uh, a lot of friends from Kildare still so for me at the end it was a no-brainer to kind of go back uh, and I suppose it's nice always to play with the club that you started with as well I bet it must have been a nice change of pace as well from the kind of the intensity of to say a professional setup like Connacht I was talking to Andrew Brown before and it, with him coaching has gave him a, a new appreciation for the AL did that kind of happen with you at Nace as well it, it did I, I kind of got in I, I suppose I didn't really do much coaching because I was still enjoying playing um, it did certainly give me an appreciation of, of the level that um, AL was still at and um some of the guys, the young guys that were coming up through Nace, um, and I come up through the ranks because I think Nace were only, I'd say, seven years before they were in uh, Division One. They were, I think, junior club. Maybe it was a bit longer than seven, but they come up the ranks pretty quickly. So it did playing with Nace gave me a, a serious appreciation of the hard work of a lot of people that goes in to clubs like that, into the, all the AAL clubs. Um, that's probably a lot of unseen work as well and it, I enjoyed my time I enjoyed the kind of social aspect um, again and I was able to enjoy rugby again as well We're going back to the beginning again but you're over in Hong Kong now and how did that move come about for you to move to Hong Kong? It, it Just just by chance really so uh, I was lucky enough when I was um, playing uh, the sevens uh, that I've been kind of looking around for basically my second career and I, I kind of been meeting a lot of people and doing quite a bit of networking and kind of throwing out probably a lot of a lot of shameless uh, LinkedIn kind of <laughs> for, for meetings with people and that type of stuff and I was lucky enough that Owen Redden, a guy who played with, got into the aviation uh, industry. I'd spoken to him a few times and it was a serious buzzword around Ireland at the time as well. Um, aircraft leasing was, was big business and Dublin's the hub for it uh, and I, I kind of got lucky that uh, the company I work with now FPG Momentum gave me a chance to uh, to get in there and gave me an opportunity to work um, which I, I 
jumped at straight away. And kind of one thing led to another, and they opened an office in Hong Kong. I said I'd love to go, and they were happily obliged. And when I knew I was coming here, uh, Hong Kong Football Club, um, who had been on to me before, uh, I just got onto them, and I knew I had a contact here, an Irish guy, uh, Donald Foley, who um, kind of linked me in with the club. And uh, one thing led to another again, and uh, I just started playing with the club here and have to look back. What's it like playing over in Hong Kong? What's the, the standard of rugby like? There's so there's six probably premiership teams, uh, and for me this, this the standard is pretty good. Uh, it was a, a lot higher than I expected. I kind of half expected coming over that it, it was like kind of going to be throwing around the ball at the weekend, kind of a bit of social rugby. But it, it's I actually couldn't believe how serious it's taken. The, the, the level that the guys play at over here is probably. It mightn't be top level AL one top tier teams like the likes of your Clontarf and your Lansdowns. It's probably maybe mid table teams, but it's it's still a quite solid standard, um, and it's contested fairly hotly every year. Um, and actually, uh, Brett Wilkinson's coaching in Sandy Bay, uh, one of the teams here, a guy who used to play with in Connacht. So it's it's always good to play against him every now and then. Yeah, he mentioned you when I was talking to him a couple of weeks back. He, you came up against each other in a final, or I think recently enough. In, in the semi-final of the the Grand Championships this year, yeah. And uh, you came out on top from memory. Yeah, we, we did. We did come out on top. We went on to win it uh, this year. But uh, he actually beat uh, Hong Kong Football Club the year before I came in the and went on to win the grand final in the, in the same situation. So I uh, don't feel too sorry for him. At the <laughs> it must be nice to know that he's over there and there's a bit of bragging rights between two former Connacht mates in the two clubs. Yeah, no, it, it, it's great uh, to, ha- to have him here because when I when I first arrived, he, he was uh, he, he was here straight away. I'd been messaging him before I came over and it's, it was just, it was great to see a familiar face uh, around Hong Kong when I, when I arrived. What are your future plans? Uh, I'm sure you want to keep playing for a few more years, but would you have? Do you have any interest in getting into coaching, or once you finish with in Hong Kong, do you think that's rugby kind of finished for you? I, I reckon I'll do. I'll certainly, I'll certainly play again this year, and I'll, I'll see what the plans are for Hong Kong if we're, if we're to stay on or come home. But it'd be very difficult to transition from playing in. 22 degrees on a 4G pitch week in week out back to 3 degrees in Ballina Hinch or something like that <laughs> uh, with the wind blowing in your face so I potentially go for the, the coaching transition at that stage Coaching is definitely something you're interested in because I'm, I'm always I'm always keen to see good rugby experience stay in the game because like you've had so many good coaches over the years it'd be great to see you kind of impart knowledge onto the next generation again uh, look, as in, it, it's definitely something that that I probably would like to do. It, it, it'd be work dependent as well. If I could definitely get the time uh, for those evenings to with work to coach, I, I certainly probably would do it. Um, for me, it, it'd be a way to stay in the game. Yeah, uh, kind of maybe maybe help even even help a team uh, do well along the way as well. But yeah, it, it's something I, I definitely think of. Phil, I'll let you get back to your day. I'm sure your lunch break's nearly over. Uh, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat. It's, it's been great to hear from you. 
Yeah, uh, cheers. Thanks a million, Borek. Thanks again, Finn, for coming on. Really great to hear from you. And I'd like to give a special shout out to Tony Scott, who's editing this podcast for me this week because I'm up the walls busy at work. It really does mean a lot to be able to take this off my plate. Thank you very much. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, please do. I'm literally everywhere. And don't forget to like, share and subscribe to the podcast. Get in touch if there's anyone else you want to hear me talk to. So until next week, take care and stay safe. <laughs>